So which are you? You wear them on your sleeve or you bury them deep? That's obviously a continuum. Uh, maybe you're somewhere in the middle. You know, maybe um, you don't mind the things on your sleeve as long as, as the responsibility for them is not real heavy. Uh, but those that are pretty heavy and you might feel a sense of personal or public shame, you bury those deep. Um, there's a kind of continuum here that all of us fit on. And it's important, I think, if we're going to really engage the life that Jesus promised us, that we engage it in such a way uh, that we become the most human we can be in this world. The most human we can be in this world. You see this, uh, uh, there, there's a, a, a method behind my madness. I, I know that sometimes it doesn't seem that way, but, um, but I hold to a number of different, very small things when it comes to communication. One is, is that people need to be reminded more than they need to be informed. And if you've ever parented, you know that very well. You know, it's like people need to be reminded more than they need to be informed. And also there's some research that tells us that until someone hears something seven times, they won't hear it for the first time. Now imagine that. When you hear something and you, you think I'm hearing it for the first time, you've heard it seven times or at least six times before that. And, and so those, those things really resonate with me because I, I think that uh, life is not that difficult and the principles that God gave us are not that many. They're, they're pretty simple, and, and they're pretty achievable, they're pretty gettable in life, but, but oftentimes uh, there's a presumption in our life that we're smarter than everyone else. Now, we would never say that up to, you know, out loud. We would never go up and tell people that I'm smarter than you are, but, but the fact is, is that about the sphere, the sphere of the two feet that I live in, uh, in, in my life and my emotions and my thinking, I feel like I'm smarter than you are about because I know myself, I think, better than you know me. And so I have this, this sense that, that in this two feet that I live in, I, I, I know better. I, I, I've got it. And I don't need you. I don't need you sticking your nose into my world. I don't need you telling me what you think about what I've done or what I ought to do and all those kinds of things. I don't need you. But the fact is, is that you and I were made to be connected. We were made to need each other. And as much as we deny that, we deny being truly human. Maybe you've heard of the seven journeys. Uh, you can, there's a book by a guy out there uh, called Spit Matches that in one of the chapters he writes about them. Um, and, and the seven journeys are, are basically these continuums that, that we believe that we're on, moving from, from earner to heir in our relationship with God. We, we discover is when we begin this uh, journey with uh, this kind of maybe religious, this kind of spiritual thing that we move toward, and, and 
For some reason, we think that a space like this on a day like this at an hour like this is, is a place where we can find help. And we decide that first we're going we're gonna to get better. And, and come to find out, we realize that, that we, we really can't get better or we can't earn God's favor. It's a gift. It, it, it's given to you in whatever state you're in. Uh, no, no matter how clean or wrecked up your life is, what you think about it, it doesn't really matter. Um, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, and, and Jesus died for all of us in whatever shape we're in. But there's a second part of this, these seven journeys that, that talks about moving from self-hearted to soft-hearted. And, and a soft-heartedness is, is the ground. It's the, the soil for, for a, a rich spiritual journey. It's a soil for becoming human, fully human, and, and experiencing life at its, its, at its ultimate. And oftentimes, because we don't take that journey, because we continue to think within this two-foot square, I'm the smartest person there is about my life. You can't tell me anything that would be important, that would affect me deeply because you're not smarter than me about this world that I live in. And the fact is, is that that's just a lie. It's a lie we believe and a lie we live with and a lie we choose to, to get on with life in a lesser way because we, we're unwilling to sort of enter into the fray of, of the fact that, that we're broken. We're messed up, and we make choices all the time that are, that are rather stupid. And we don't want anybody to know about it because it's, it's shameful. It's, uh, you know, what would you think about me if I told you, you know, the stupid things I've done this week? You wouldn't, you know, and so there's this sense in which we put a lot of effort into projecting someone we're not. And the energy that could be done with living life free is lived with living a theater, projecting something that people think we are when we're really not. And we, we take our addictions, we, we take our little things that we do, we take our... our, our our own thinking and our messed up thinking and, and we just live with it and we, we just get along. The fact is, is that God gave us one another. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and the and creates community. And if you move down through the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, you'll see that God has always worked in tribes, he's always worked in groups. And his followers, when Jesus came on the scene, were a group of people that he meant to live connected with one another, with their noses in each other's lives. Not because anyone's smarter than you are about your life, but the fact is, is that a perspective from the outside doesn't really help. Now, I, I, it's no secret I love to play golf. 
And it's no secret if you've played golf with me, is that I love to teach the game of golf. Now, when I'm in a competitive situation, people hold that against me. They, they think I'm trying to get in their head and, and, and do something, you know, evil and dastardly about, you know, because we're, we're competing. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. I just love to teach people about golf. And you know what's funny about it is that people don't see things that I see. Now, I'm no genius at golf. I'm not even that great at golf. But uh, you, you see, I was playing golf in Colorado. In fact, I had, I had breakfast this week with the, the guy, one of the guys that was in the foursome, and we, we recounted this. We were playing golf in Colorado, and, and this guy... Uh, was not a very good golfer at all, self-admittedly so. I mean, he had a, a, a little golf ball that was an eight ball, like a pool ball, eight ball. And he would, he would tee off, and usually his ball was unfindable, and he would get out in the fairway someplace, and he would throw the ball onto the green, and then he would put the eight ball in. That's the way he played almost every hole. But, but he could not hit the ball straight because he was approaching the ball like this. Now, I know most of you have seen enough golf to know that, that when you're crouched down like this and swinging a golf club at a golf ball, God knows where it's going to go. You know? It, yeah, exactly. And so I just, after four or five holes, I couldn't stand it. You know, it's just like, I just had this, this moment, you know? It's like a Popeye moment. And I just said, Terry, have you ever thought about standing up straighter? when you address the golf ball. And it was funny uh, recounting it with his friend who has played a lot of golf with him and had a lot of visitors you know, playing golf and sitting in the golf cart. And he goes, what's with that guy? Is there something wrong with his back or something? I mean, what's with it? And no one ever said anything to him. No one ever, ever suggested that, hey, Terry, you know, if you sit up a little straighter, you might have a better path for that club toward the ball. And lo and behold, Terry stood up. He, he came, went from here, and then now he's up here like this. And I said, just take the club back easy and swing it. And he hit the ball out into the fairway. I wish I charged for my advice. <laughs> he would have paid me lots of money. And he's like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And it's like, well, I, I don't know what just happened because... Anybody in their right mind would understand that what you were doing was not good. Now, Terry's like all of us. All of us are crouched over at the golf ball in some form, some way in our life. And we need an outside perspective. We need someone to speak into it. We need someone to be gentle. We don't need someone to walk up and go, oh my God, what do you think you're doing, playing golf? I mean, that doesn't, you know, I just like, I just, hey, have you ever thought about standing up straight? You know, just gentle nudge into, a, into his life, and, and sure enough, good things started to happen. And, and Terry's actually starting to play golf. Now, they told me before we started playing that 18 holes, they said, look, Terry keeps score differently than everybody else. Okay, <laughs> tell me about it. He's, he keeps score by the number of balls he finds in the woods. 
Like, no kidding, no kidding. You'll see, he, he skull, and when he comes out with 24, 25 balls, he's had an incredible round of golf. And I'm thinking, wow, I do not think that was the way golf was meant to be played. I mean, hunt for golf balls, hunt for golf balls. Play golf, play golf, but not, you know, don't exchange one for the other. Unfortunately for many of us, we're exchanging hunting for golf balls and playing golf. We're exchanging doing life the way Jesus intended for us to do and the way we think it ought to run because we don't lean into the concept of accountability. We refuse to be accountable to anybody else except for ourselves. We, we take the, percept, the, 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 the understanding, uh, the perception of life that that I'm the smartest and no one else can tell me what to do about my life when in fact those who are looking in from the outside have a perspective. They have a way of engaging our lives and in, in helping us see things that we can't see ourselves. You know, one of the problems that, that exists in this world is because most of us are, are fearful of, of kind of crossing a line. We're fearful of being wrong. And, and we also avoid blame. You know, the, the last thing I want is, is, is blame. Don't, don't blame me. You can, I'll tell you all kinds of stuff about my life, but, but if, if you're going to blame me for something, I'm going I'm to put the brakes on. So we've we got this, this fear of people seeing our world when in fact they see it, but we just don't engage what they see because of blame. And the reality is that Jesus comes into this world and gives us some spiritual technology. Now think about this for a moment. All of us have these things that we carry on our person or in a, in a, a little purse or something with us that, that is a, a piece of technology that allows us to do all kinds of things. We can do our banking you know, while we sit here listening to a boring message, you know, we can touch our friends on Facebook. We can, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff just from this little thing that's, you know, three inches wide and six inches long. And it's like incredible technology. Jesus brought some technology for life that becomes important because the way you treat me, the way I treat you matters. It matters because it's from the very depths of who we are that those actions come out, those words come out of our mouth. You know, it's, uh, it takes a long time when you're raising kids. Something happens, and, and the kid uses the excuse, well, I didn't mean to do it. You know, I, I didn't mean to do it. Well, the fact is, is that that's an attempt to, to shirk a kind of responsibility that can't be shirked. That those kinds of actions, when they come out of us, words or actions, they come, Jesus says, from the heart. They spring deep from a well within us. And so to go in and, and begin to bring the healing that, and the transformation that Jesus offers inside, we've got to go inside. Just like the song. You know, we've got to pull it all out. We need to pull it all out and take a look at it. Because that technology is first about confession. 
just saying the same thing with God. Jesus, or one of Jesus' followers, John, writes in 1 John 1, 9, he says, uh, if we confess, if we say the same thing that God says about our actions and behaviors and our internal motives and all that kind of if we say the same thing, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's this, this spiritual technology. It says, I have a soft heart and I see myself crossing a line. I see myself out of bounds. I see myself being hard. I see myself taking an attitude of, I don't care what you think. That's, that's not an attitude that, that leads to life. But Jesus says, if I confess, if I confess with my mouth, if I just say the same thing, all of a sudden, it's like, it's almost like magic confession, genuine confession. Something that acknowledges the wrong that I've done makes a radical difference in my life. It leads me to being more fully human and experiencing the kind of life that God created me for. I think that's one of the things that comes out of this series. It's one of the things that, that comes out of, of watching these people interact with one another. We see numerous relationships have to go there to be able to keep those relationships, not just together, but keep those relationships growing deeper and kind of the and kind of enduring loyalty that comes when we use the opportunity to confess. Let's take a look. The headline this morning is the news that Ted Lasso left in the middle of the Tottenham match this season, not due to stomach problems, but because of a panic attack. Lasso appears to be uh, leaving. George, Lasso's clearly not fit to coach. Come on now, George, be compassionate. Oh, come on, come on, Jeff, come on. Would, would uh, Bill Shankly have a panic attack? Eh? Would Brian Clough, would Alex Ferguson have a panic oh, attack? Of course be he, fair. No, of course he wouldn't. Look, if, if your ship's being attacked, right, and you run to the bridge, you want to find a captain whose brain works, not some big girl's blouse. Hi, Ted. Remember, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. I'm here if you want to talk. Good luck this weekend. Circle up! Hey. Hey, fellas. Before we get started here, I wanted to talk to y'all about the article you saw in the paper this morning. Actually, y'all probably saw it on your phones. I still get the paper, because well, you can't cut cartoons out of a phone, right? Yeah, but you can screenshot them and text them. That's copyright infringement, bro. Oh, I hear he's a rope, but you can't hang a screenshot on a fridge, either. My refrigerator has a television. Oh, I think I have the same one. The point is, y'all found out about something from somewhere when you should have found out about it from me first. But I chose not to tell y'all, and that's dumb. You know, fellas, we make a lot of choices in our lives every single day, ranging from, am I really about to eat something called Greek yogurt? Mm. To, should I leave my family and take a job halfway around the world? 
Me choosing not to be forthright with y'all, that was a bad choice. And I can't be wasting time wishing for a do-over on all that. Because that ain't how choices work. No, sir. No. That choice in my Chicago Bulls starter jacket that I let Janelle Rhodes borrow my sophomore year because she spilled ketchup all over herself and it looked like she'd been shot, well, those are two things I ain't ever getting back. Because every choice is a chance, fellas. And I didn't give myself the chance to build further trust with y'all. To quote the great UCLA college basketball coach, John Obi-Wan Gandalf, it is our choices, gentlemen, that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. Now, I hope y'all can forgive me for what I've done, because I sure as heck wouldn't want any of y'all to hold anything back with me. No, we got you, We got you, coach. We got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, no that. problem, guys. Genuine confession to one another provides the kind of experience that deepens relationships. We tend to avoid it because we don't want to feel the blame. And we feel like our soul is, uh, is so fragile that if, if I do accept the blame or I do get the blame, that I won't survive. But, but the beauty of leaning into Jesus. Jesus leaves heaven, comes to earth, lives and dies and rises again, and, and offers us a new kind of relationship with God. A kind of relationship we don't earn, a kind of relationship that's a gift, but a kind of relationship that starts to build a new identity. It's a, a path back to our true humanity. And, and as we, we move and discover that identity. We discover there's nothing as deep in our life as that identity as a child of God. That's why John comes along and says, uh, as he's describing Jesus in John 1, he says, to those who, who received Jesus, to those who offered hospitality in their lives, they welcomed him in and made him feel at home in their lives. To those who received him, to them, they, he gave the right, the right to become children of God. And, and that right then starts a whole new identity that, that can be developed and, and it creates a, a kind of sphere deep inside us that, that we begin to trust in the fact that no irredeemable harm could ever come to us. No emotional harm is so deep and damaging that we cannot overcome it. That's the, that's the beauty of understanding these spiritual technologies that Jesus brings. This idea of, of being able to openly confess and engage with one another and hold one another accountable. You know, it's why I think that the most successful life transformation organization in the world when it comes to addiction is, is, are the AA and the things that have come from AA. AA, NA, OA, whatever you know, other A you can put on that. Uh, but because those 12 principles really do encompass that technology that Jesus brought. That willingness to, to make a thorough moral assessment of our lives and, and to understand that we desperately need one another to speak into our world. We need a coach. 
Everyone needs a coach. That's why I think, you know, we spend so much time trying to help you get into a group, trying to help you find a tribe to do life with because you need some life coaches, not a coach necessarily, but you need a crew of people that you discover over life that love you and you love them. And they will say things to you that will endanger your relationship, your friendship, but they will do it for your good. You have friends like that? Do you have people who will piss you off? You know, you heard uh, Ted listening on his phone to the, the, the psychiatrist or psychologist that, that works with the, the AFC Richmond team. And, uh, you know, she said, look, you know, the truth will set you free. She's quoting Jesus there in John chapter 8. Jesus said the, the truth will set you free. Now, he didn't say it will piss you off first, but I, I think he meant that because it usually does. It's usually a mirror that shows you who you are. And who of us likes to see who we are? It's painful sometimes. It's painful. And so that's what accountability is all about. It's about a commitment to one another to experience life at a higher level, at a level God intended for us to, to live it at. And we're committed to one another in such a way that I would even endanger our relationship just to get you to that level. That idea of, of confession is, is so vital in this process. And the other piece of that is forgiveness. It, it's the, the kind of outcome that we get when John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Should he forgive us? No. Most of us don't have a picture of God that comes from Luke 15, verse 20. In Luke 15, if you haven't read it lately, open it up, read it. It's a story about the son that offended his father so much that he wanted him dead. He asked for half of his wealth so he could go off. He wasted it. And he comes back, and in Luke 15, 20, it says, The father saw the son from afar off. He was waiting for his idiot son to come home. That's the kind of relationship God builds with us, waiting for us to come home. It's the kind of forgiving heart that he wants to give us, and he wants us to replicate that in the lives of the people that we do life with that we have this incredible emotional shock absorber that says, look, you may have hurt me in the, in, in the deepest of ways, but I can learn to forgive you. I can start forgiving you. I can find a way around and through this pain that we have between us. We see that in... In, in, in incredible ways. Now, for those of you that haven't watched Ted Lasso, this is a massive spoiler, all right? This will spoil it from, from day one. But we see it in, what, in, in the very premise of the show. The owner of the team got the team in a divorce. Her husband, Rupert, the team was his pride and joy, his life. And so to do damage to her ex-husband, 
who had violated her uh, through affairs and all kinds of stuff, to do damage to him, she hires Ted Lasso to ruin the club. She hires an American football coach to come coach an English soccer team so that that soccer team would be the laughing stock of all of the Premier League. And that's the premise that brings this show together. The scene here comes when you see what happens when she engaged a guy who was curious, not judgmental, who was, was a person full of flaws, and with the story himself, running from some things, and, and what happens when they both stand in the same room and look at the same truth as two human beings. Let's watch. Mom. Oh. My God, it smells of feet in here. I mean, it just, it just hits you immediately, doesn't it? It's... Why haven't you told Ted yet? Oh, I'm going to. When? Imagine doing something unforgivable to someone who doesn't deserve it and then having to look them in the eye and tell them what you've done. I mean, what would be the point of telling Ted now? It doesn't change anything. It will change how I feel about you. I have something I need to tell you. Oh, deja vu. <laughs> Ted, I lied to you. I hired you because I wanted this team to lose. I wanted you to fail. And I sabotaged you every chance I've had. It was me who hired that photographer to take the photo of you and Keeley. I set up the interview with Trent Krim, hoping that he would humiliate you. And I instigated the transfer of Jamie Tart, even though you'd asked me not to. This club is all that Rupert has ever cared about, and I wanted to destroy it, to cause him as much pain and suffering as he has caused me. And I didn't care who I used or who I hurt. All you good people just trying to make a difference. Ted, I'm so sorry. If you want to quit or call the press, I'll completely understand. I forgive you. You what? Why? Divorce is hard. And it doesn't matter if you're the one leaving or if you're the one who got left. It makes folks do crazy things. Hell, I'm coaching soccer, for heaven's sake. <laughs> In London. <laughs> I mean, that's nuts. <laughs> This job you gave me has changed my life. It gave me the distance I needed to see what was really going on. Yeah, but you and me, we're okay. Come on, just shake this hand. My arm's starting to get... <laughs> You know, I think that if you care about someone, 
and you got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together. You know what I'm saying? You're not just talking about us now, are you? Maybe. Maybe not. I'm gonna go change for practice, uh, training, practice, whatever. Who cares? Nice seeing you down here, boss. You liven up the place. That kind of human action, I think, is what makes the, the show so popular. But that kind of human action is the kind of human action that Jesus intended for people who grow up in families. Not many of us learned those spiritual technologies in family, the idea of confession, forgiveness. It just didn't come from our mothers and fathers. And when our spiritual life begins to, to gain traction, we have to relearn and almost kind of regrow through a, a childhood process to realize that there are things that make us more human that hurt, that create anxiety, that, that cause uh, a tears cause our heart to beat fast and make us want to run away. But there are good things. There are things that are important. When we begin to lean into one another's lives and live lives that invite accountability, that live lives that invite people to be our eyes outside of this two-foot square, and to lean in in gentle and merciful ways. And to give us insights that we cannot get from our, for ourselves. Because we cannot see that we are bent over at the golf ball. Doing something really stupid. It's what Jesus intended. It's why he made us to live connected. And being connected means being accountable. Let's pray. Father, as we attempt to grab a hold of life, as we do it from our perspectives, as we do it from the, the lenses that we either chose or were given through life, we desperately need you to help us see clearly. Because within this two-foot square, Father, I oftentimes have an impermeable, unpenetratable confidence that I know best. That is not a soft heart. Father, I pray that you would help me embrace my finiteness I'm limited in more ways than I even know myself. And I so desperately need for you to crack through. I need other people. I need their opinions. Whether I like them or agree with them or not, I need their view of my life. Father, give me the ability to invite a life of accountability. A life that lives with other people, valuing and respecting them for who they are and what they see in me. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you that 
that you are building in us. You're building in me an identity that, that truly can, can live out the idea that no irredeemable harm can ever come to me. You have my back. You've got me. Father, help us to pursue that kind of relationship. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving us alone in this world, but for coming, for living and dying and rising again and allowing the Spirit then to descend, the Spirit to come and live with us and give us the kind of, of resources and power that we cannot explain, but we can live. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.